together the Lord's Prayer, and you can pray it in whatever way you're most familiar with it, but let's just pray with all of our hearts. It'll be coming up on the screen. Uh, full voice, okay? Pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lord, we love you and we bless you. You are good and you are great. Lord, you are the God of incarnation. You're the God of the cross by which our sins were paid for. Lord, you're the God of resurrection and hope and life and grace. Lord, we bless you. We bless you. Lord God, we pray that you would speak to us this morning in whatever way you choose. Lord God, show us your glory. Show us your glory, we pray. Lord God, we want to thank you that there's only one church in the city. And we pray this weekend for our, our fellow congregation, the church at Alden Bridge, for their pastor, Nick Jones. Would you bless them in every way, Lord? We're all on the same team. And we pray that this, for this sister congregation, you just bless them in every way. Lord, these are your people whom you love. May we know it deep in our souls, and may we trust you. Lord, thank you that you're here. Thank you that you're working in our hearts. We pray all these things together in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. I'll be reading in Exodus 16 if you've got a Bible. We also have Bibles around the room. Always feel free to grab one if you don't have one. Exodus 16, God's Holy Word. They set out from Elam. And all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily." So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? This is the holy word of God. Please be seated. Church, it's been a few weeks since we've been in Exodus with Mother's Day, and I've been gone uh, last week. And so let me just remind us where we have been in the book of Exodus. Exodus 1 and 2, remember, the book begins with the suffering in Egypt, the slavery, the suffering, 400 years. And they've even, Pharaoh's even been killing baby boys. Incredible. And then in Exodus 3, because God heard their prayer and saw their hurts, 
he calls Moses to go back to lead the rescue. And so in Exodus 3 and 4, God calls Moses less than excited, but he goes anyway. And then in Exodus 5 through 13, they're in Egypt, and we have the ten plagues, one of the remarkable parts of all Scripture, the ten plagues. And then in Exodus 14, he's delivered them out, and he splits the Red Sea. The Israelites can go out, and then the waters cover the Egyptian army. Last time in Exodus 15, you know, they have just been rescued from the jaws of death, all of their families. And they're just so overwhelmed, breathless with wonder and joy. And, and they have this, just this explosion of praise and celebration. And then beginning in, in the last part of 15, 16, and the first part of 17, they encounter over the next weeks three huge problems. First of all, they run out of water, two and a half million people in the desert. You know, that, that, that doesn't work for about after a few hours. I mean, you need water. And then in 16, they run out of food in the desert, two and a half million people. And then in Acts 17, I mean, in Exodus 17, they run out of water again. I mean, huge problems. But, I mean, after all they've seen, I mean, when they've seen the, the Nile River turn blood and, and all the plagues that God brought on Egypt and the incredible miracles, and then when God splits the Red Sea, I mean, surely uh, they will respond by trusting that God is going to take care of them now, aren't they? I mean, surely they'll do that. But unfortunately, incredibly, uh, they complain and grumble against God. Now, let's see what happens in these three scenes. We're going to see parts of the three scenes. At the end of 15, let me go back that we briefly touched on this a few weeks ago. It begins in 22, 15, 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea after this incredible victory. And they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Merah, they could not drink the water of Merah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Merah, Hebrew for bitter. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? So, did you notice in verse 23, 22, that this was three days after the incredible rescue? Three days. I mean, you would think that, you know, just after what they had seen, especially three days, I mean, that would be like seeing the Red Sea this past Thursday split open, and you walk through it. And three days later, rather than calling out to God and trusting God, they are complaining and grumbling against God. And it's an incredible scene. Uh, why is grumbling so bad? Uh, you know, the Israelites become known and famous, infamously known for their 40 years in the wilderness of complaining and grumbling and murmuring against God. That's kind of how they're known for it. And why is that a problem? Why is complaining against God so bad? Well, because very simply, that every time we complain against God, grumble against God, whine against God, it is a statement that we are not trusting God. We are not, we're not trusting the goodness and the care of God. We're not trusting that God's going to take care of us. We are essentially accusing God of treating us unfairly, being wrong. It's like, Lord, 
what's going on here? Why, why did you allow this? Lord God, why are you treating me this way? As if we're entitled to have a problem-free life the rest of our life here on earth. Now in heaven, there's going to be no problems, no pain, no tears. But this is earth, a sin-wracked world, some of which we contribute to. And there are all kind of problems and challenges. And whenever we grumble, complain, whine uh, against God, it is as if we are not trusting God's goodness and care for us. It is the opposite of praying to God, of being grateful to God, of trusting our God, of affirming that God is worthy of our trust, that he's good to us. One Hebrew scholar commented on this Hebrew term for grumble or murmur. He said our English translation murmur or even complain does not capture the significance of the term. This was not a simple complaint or mere, no mere expression of frustration. It was a display of unbelief. It was an expression of disloyalty. For to murmur against the Lord or the Lord's chosen leader in these stories was a denial of God's goodness, God's power, God's love, and God's sovereignty. So whatever else we say about being Christians or followers of the Lord, if we have a spirit of complaining about the way God is treating us, then we are essentially denying, disowning uh, the fact that God is good, loving, uh, uh, sovereign, and is going to take care of us. Now, the opposite of this is seen in the very next verse, in verse 25, when we read that uh, after the people were grumbling, and he, Moses, cried to the Lord. So rather than whining and grumbling, and Lord, why are you allowing this? He is calling out to God, Lord, would you please rescue us? Now, uh, this is a different Moses than we saw back in Exodus 3 and 4, isn't it? I mean, he would have been whining back in then. You know, he really was. You know, send somebody else. But he's grown. He's seen the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, and he remembers what God's done. And that's the same journey for each one of us. You know, let's, let's, let's remember and never forget how God has been faithful to take care of us. He is good. And he, Moses, cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. So God provides miraculously again. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them. And so this is all about a test. Will you trust me? So God has done these incredible things to rescue them out of 400 years of slavery. He has split open the Red Sea to deliver them out. And he's going to say, okay, now have you learned that you can trust me, that I am good, and I'm going to take care of you. Even though life is going to be hard at times, have you learned that I am good, and I'm going to take care of you? And they fall flat on their face. So they test, uh, this was a test for them. You know, James 1, 2 says, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials because the, the testing of our faith produces endurance. So, did you catch that uh, assumption? Every trial you and I face, God is testing you. Will you trust me or not? Will you trust me or not? Not just a random circumstance in the universe. Your Father in heaven is giving you an opportunity to trust him. Now, remember, for all eternity in heaven, you will never have the opportunity to trust God again. You will never again have a problem in heaven. 
You'll never again have, you know, a cancer or back pain or a problem with a child. You'll have no pain, no tears. This is your only opportunity in eternity to trust the Lord and to affirm before a world that God is good and it's worth trusting. Will you trust him or not? When your car breaks down, no fun, I know, I hate car trouble, but when your car breaks down, are you going to grumble and complain against God? Are you going to remind yourself, God is always taking care of me. God's always seen me through. He's going to take care of me now. Those of you who have lost a job recently, not just a random act in the universe, God is testing you. Will you trust me or not? Have you noticed that you have never missed a meal, uh, unless you've been fasting, that, that you have food and clothing, and God is always taking care of you, and he wants you to trust him to come through for you. Those of you who've got physical problems, bad diagnosis, uh, problems in marriage, problems with singleness, whatever the problem is, it's not just a problem. It is a test from God. Will you trust him or not? That is, in your heart of hearts, do you really believe he is good? Or are you just talking that way? on Sunday mornings, and then you just grumble and complain, oh, God, I can't believe you did this. Oh, I can't believe you treated me like that, as if you're entitled to have a problem-free life. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, is it always wrong to complain? Well, not exactly. Um, it's certainly not wrong to point out a problem. Uh, you know, if the electric wire is down in your neighborhood, tell the authorities, you know, that's nothing wrong. It depends on what you say, how you say it, and who you say it to, the spirit with which you bring it. Uh, let me give you the difference between the complaining and not complaining. Say there's a family of five, and uh, the father and the three kids always just get up from the table and go about their business, leaving the table in a, in a, in a mess. And the mom says to them one day, okay, we're going to do a dinner differently. Every night when, after we have dinner, rather than just getting up and going to your play, doing your stuff, and, and I clean up the, the, the table, everybody takes their own plate and silverware to the sink, and they wash it off and put it in the dishwasher. We're going to do it that way. Is that complaining? No, that's not complaining. That's just, you know, a problem, and here's a good solution for it. Now, if the very next day and the, the next three months, the 10-year-old boy just is complaining and complaining and whining about, oh, I've got to do this. It's just not fair. That's complaining. So it's not pointing out a problem in the right spirit to the right person. It is a spirit of grumbling and complaining and whining, and especially against God. And sort of like even when you sin against somebody, you're really sinning against God. When you're grumbling against somebody, you're really grumbling against God. And it is a statement that in your heart of hearts, you do not believe that God is good and that he's going to come through for you. And rather than calling out to him to take care of you, you grumble and complain against him. Okay, they had their test. Three days after the Red Sea, they fell on their face. Okay, let's see uh, the next time. Six weeks later, verse six, chapter 16, verse 2, or verse 1, they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. So six weeks after the Red Sea, five and a half weeks after the miracle with the water, log in the water, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Are you kidding me? 
And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full as if they had such a good life then. They forgot. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Are you, I mean, what, a, what exaggeration. Um, they brought you out here to kill you with hunger. God was, it's like God was going to kill them in the, in the land of Egypt. On the sixth day, when they prepare, well, in verse 4, back up a bit. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a, a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So they grumble against God. How does God respond? He gives them bread from heaven every day, every morning. Later on, he's going to say, and every night, he's going to give them quail to eat. Now, in the previous chapter, when they whined and complained and grumbled about the water, what did God do? How did he respond? He graciously gave them water. Here, they're Grumbling again, what does he do? He graciously gives them food. Sometimes people say, well, God seems so different in the Old Testament and the New Testament. You know, there's all this grace in the New Testament, but is there grace in the Old Testament? Friends, that was grace we just read about. That's what grace is. Undeserved favor and love. That is grace. And you see it actually all through the Old Testament because God is God. What the people of Israel did is they forgot what God had done for them. They didn't remember how God had been so incredibly good to them. They forgot. And at times, truth be known, we forget what God has done for us, don't we? I do. At times, we forget the way that God has been faithful to us every day of our lives. And it is so vital that we remember what God has done. You know, besides the thousands upon thousands of simple and not so simple gifts to us personally, we also must remember what he's done for us on the cross because that is the final proof of the goodness and love of God for us. But God proves his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And before Jesus left, he inaugurates communion and he says, Remember me. Remember, do this to remember me. Communion is all about remembering the goodness of God. And, and that's one of the reasons why every week we celebrate communion. Not as a ritual, but we're remembering God loves me so much. He did the most unthinkable thing ever. He sent his own son to down a cross. And so every week we got a reminder. Uh, we remember the Lord. We remember his goodness. And so this morning, church, when we look at how the Israelites responded, and this became the pattern of their lives. For 40 years, until they get to the, the promised land, we've got the sad, ugly picture of a, of a, of a lifetime of complaining and grumbling against God. And, and, and when it comes to our lives, at the end of our life, we get to heaven one day, we're going to be able to look back and say that, yes, life was hard, but every step of the way, God was faithful. We are, it's going to make sense to us. All the pain and suffering we had, it's going to make sense. And we're going, to rem we're going to say, oh, yes, God was so good to me. Well, in heaven, we're all going to have faith. But how are you going to do in your one lifetime? 
And the only lifetime you've got, are you going to be like the Israelites, grumbling and complaining against God, claiming on the one hand with your lips to be trusting God, but in your heart being uh, completely unbelieving in the goodness and the grace of God? How are you going to do? Are you going to be essentially a practical atheist, no different than your non-Christian friends and half the church, or are you going to be one of those men and women who know their God and know He is good and know He is faithful and you're going to trust your God however hard your life is? Which is it going to be? We choose. We choose. Now, in this passage in 16, a bit later in verse 6, it's all about knowing God's goodness and knowing that He's God. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of, of Israel, at, at evening you shall know that it was the at evening you shall know it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. See, He's good. See, He can take care of you. You need to know it was God. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because He has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? Every morning they saw the glory of God. They, they need to know it was God. Now, church, in the book of Exodus, all through the book of Exodus, time after time after time, God does these great and mighty things so that they will know that I am the Lord. Over and over, he says that. Pharaoh, you got to know this. People of Egypt, you got to know this. People of Israel, you got to know this, that I am the Lord. I'm Yahweh. I'm the only God. I am that I am. And therefore, all the earth must glorify the Lord. They, they connect these two things. Know who he is, glorify him. Know who he is, glorify him. And you know that is so captured so beautifully in Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. I'll be glorified in all the earth. Church, this is a matter. This matter of grumbling and complaining is simply a matter do we know that God is God and that He is good and that we can trust Him? Or in our actions, are we saying essentially God is unfair and mean to me and He's not good? It is all about the goodness of God. Some several centuries ago, there was a pastor in England who wrote a book called A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life. And there's a little section about complaining that is so good. This is what he says. It's so good, I, I wanted to have this on the screen for you. He said, A dull, uneasy, complaining spirit is of all tempers the most contrary to the spiritual life. Can we just pause right there and let that process? A dull, uneasy, complaining spirit is of all tempers, emotions, the most contrary to the spiritual life. For it disowns the God whom it pretends to adore. So, friends, we're not dealing with a light topic this morning. We're talking about people who talk a good game, but they disown the God they pretend to adore. And I want to tell you one thing. I have done that. I am guilty. And probably at times, you have been guilty. And maybe right now, that's how you're living. And if so, repent and receive the goodness and the grace of God, because He waits to set you free from that spirit. Do you respond to the problems and challenges in your life by a spirit of grumbling and complaining, or do you call out to God with a spirit of joy and gratitude? All right, let me go back to the quote. He said, a man sufficiently disowns God 
if he does not believe that all is guided and directed by the care and providence of a divine being who is all love and goodness to his people. Church, this is all about the goodness of God. Is he good or is he not? Is he a Scrooge God or is he the God of the Scriptures? He who believes that everything happens to him for the best cannot possibly complain for lack of something better. If you, therefore, live in murmurings and complaints, it is not because you are a weak, infirm creature. It is because you lack the first principle of the spiritual life, a right belief in God. It all begins, will we trust the goodness of God or not? As thankfulness is an open expression, open acknowledgement of the goodness of God, even so complaints are plain accusations of God's lack of goodness to us. Make it a rule, then, to receive everything as evidence of His goodness to will everything that God wills, and to prepare your heart to praise Him for everything. Let me give you an example. When Joseph in the Old Testament was 17 years old, the book of Genesis, one of the most horrible wrongs that I've ever read about happened. His own brothers sell him in slavery to a marauding, uh, to a passing caravan, and they take him to another land, never to see him again. Can you imagine? You're 17, that happens to you. And then he's falsely accused by the house he's slaved in, uh, a slave in, of sexual assault, completely false charge, and he's thrown in prison. And he's kept in that prison until he's 30 years old. So for 13 years, Joseph goes through incredible injustice. Never once in the biblical record is there any trace of bitterness, complaining, or grumbling. Why is that? Because for some reason, Joseph knows that there's a God in heaven and this God is good. And so later in his life, when his brothers are scared to death, oh, now he's going to get revenge now that our fathers died. You know what he says to them in Genesis 50, 20? Look, brothers, don't worry a thing. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Friends, that is true of every single thing that will ever happen to you every single thing, including whatever you're going through right now. Whatever else somebody else meant for evil, God is going to bring good out of it for you. It is a matter. Is God God or is He not? Is God good or is He not? Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted. God is looking for a crop of people, men and women like you and I, who no matter what people around us respond to at the problems and the challenges of life, we trust the Lord. Not with a spirit of entitlement that complains and grumbles, if i got to suffer a little bit, but with a spirit of gratitude. God, as hard as this is, you are good. You are good. Church, what's it going to be? What's it going to be? they got one more opportunity in 17. Surely now they will trust the Lord. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord. They grumble. He calls out to God. Church, what's going to be the pattern of our life? They have a 40-year ugly pattern. 
of complaining and grumbling. What will be the, pro, the, the pattern of your life when you get to heaven? Will it be of, of grumbling and complaining and essentially saying, God is not being good to me and he's not trustworthy? Or will you be among that crop who by faith respond like Joseph does? Whatever people meant for evil, God meant it for good. And he will bring good for me. Church, this morning, remember what God has done for you. Remember what God has done for us on a cross. Remember his love for you. Remember that he's faithful to you. Remember that though life is hard, God is good. Remember and choose to trust the Lord. Get to know God. Remember, they didn't know God. Get to know God. Get to know him in his holy word. Uh, Pour over that scripture. Pour over it. You know, think of, a, of an archaeologist just digging and digging and looking at every little thing. You pour over the Word of God, and you see in there the goodness of God. You, you remember the cross. You worship Him for, for His cross, and you decide, I am going to trust the Lord. And you say no to a spirit of complaining, and you say yes to a spirit of trusting. Stand with me. Lord, help us. Lord, help me. Lord, forgive me for my grumbling, complaining spirit at times. Lord, thank you that you're so gracious. And maybe some of you need to do a little business with God right now. Maybe you need to sort of bring your sin to God and receive his forgiveness. Lord, find in us, find in people all over Wood's Edge, men and women, who will trust our God, that you are God and you are good. Friend, if you're in the room and you've never taken the first step of trust in Jesus as your Savior, this is your time. This is your moment. Breathe a prayer right now, right now, and just say, Jesus, I need a Savior. Come and save me, and he'll do it. He'll do it. Papa, we love you, and we want to love you more. We pray together in Christ's name. Amen.